Mark 11, verse 12. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. This is the word of the Lord. This morning in our series on trees, we meet the fig tree again. This is the second time in our series that we've come across the fig tree. The first time was when Jesus saw Nathanael sitting under a fig tree. And we'll see one again in a couple weeks uh, in a parable from Judges. Fig trees pop up all over the Bible. They also pop up all over ancient mythology from the Buddha in India to Romulus and Remus in Roman mythology. These trees were in the background of the ancient world. On one hand, very common, but they were also symbols of power and life. This is probably because being so common, their fruit was the main source of food and energy for all the people and animals wherever they grew. Fig trees are what ecologists call keystone species. This means that if they disappear, then the entire ecosystem surrounding them will collapse. If you were to lay under a fig tree in the middle of the day in a tropical forest, you'd see 25, maybe even 30 different species of animals eating the figs. You'd see the bushy tails of squirrels, the pointed nose and beady eyes of tree shrews, You'd hear screeches of different varieties of monkeys and the songs from a huge variety of birds, tiny flower peckers only a couple inches long to big, uh, huge hornbills with their 
long, downward pointed bills. You'd also see pigeons, fruit doves, fairy bluebirds, and parrots. And let's not forget about the local people who come early in the morning to gather what ripe fruit they can before the animals feast on it all day. As the biologist Daniel Jansen put it, who eats figs? Everybody. Figs are high in calcium, phosphorus, and iron. They are easy to chew, easy to digest. Where fig trees are found, everybody eats their fruit. In our Bible reading this morning, Jesus and his disciples are walking away from Bethany, going back toward Jerusalem, and Jesus sees a fig tree in the distance. This takes place after Jesus' entry into uh, Jerusalem. We call this the triumphal entry. This is what we celebrate on Palm Sunday. So you can imagine this story taking place during Holy Week. It seems like Jesus and his disciples stayed in Bethany outside of Jerusalem uh, and then went to Jerusalem during the day. But in any case, it's not a super long walk from Bethany to Jerusalem. It's less than two miles. Uh, but maybe they left in a hurry before having a proper breakfast. Mar or Jesus is hungry, Mark tells us. There are no Tim Hortons or McDonald's as far as he can see, but there is a fig tree. And who eats figs? Everybody. Jesus' mouth starts to water as he walks up to the fig tree. He can already taste the sweetness of the fruit. It is simultaneously chewy and smooth. There's a bit of crunch from the little seeds inside. But upon closer inspection, there's no fruit on this tree only leaves. It's not actually fig season yet. They might be a little embarrassed by what happens next. It seems, at least on face value, like Jesus throws a bit of a temper tantrum. Maybe this is an episode of hanger, as in someone is so hungry that they become angry. This is a phenomenon that parents of toddlers know very well, but it seems unfitting behavior for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus curses the fig tree. May no one ever eat your fruit again. His disciples heard him say it. Jesus curses the fig tree because it was not bearing fruit. And who needs the fruit? Everybody including hungry rabbis on their way to the temple. Now, maybe this detail about fig season is a little bit misleading. I mean, you can tell if a tree would bear fruit before it's actually fig season. Now, in the winter, the fig trees lose their leaves. And then toward the end of winter, before the tree is covered in leaves again, the pagim, or the green figs, begin to develop. They're tiny flowers covered in a soft skin. And you can eat these figs. Uh, they would continue to grow through the summer months. So if the tree had leaves, it would presumably have had these early green figs as well. But the tree that Jesus finds only has leaves. It doesn't even have the unripe fruit. It is, in fact, a fruitless tree. Still, what's the big deal? Maybe next time, just pack your breakfast, Jesus. 
So it's not really about the tree, is it? What we've read this morning is what one of my seminary professors would call a Markin sandwich. The story of the fig tree makes up the bread. There's a piece at the beginning and a piece at the end, and it holds together all the stuff in the middle. What Jesus does to the fig tree helps us understand what's going on at the temple. When Jesus gets to the temple courts, he starts turning over tables. He sends money flying across the ground and doves flying through the air. This was Jesus' way of announcing judgment on the temple for what it had become in the national life of Israel. In the same way that Jesus cursed the fig tree because it didn't have any signs of bearing fruit, now Jesus brings judgment on the temple. It, too, was fruitless. Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, Jesus says, but you, you've made it into a den of robbers. Part of Jesus' judgment here is that the people of Israel had lost sight of their vocation to be the light of the world, to be a blessing for the nations. This was God's intention for his people from the time God called Abraham. And the temple was intended by God to symbolize God's dwelling among the nation of Israel for the sake of the world. The ministry of the temple should have been bearing fruit like a fig tree. Who eats figs? Everyone. The ministry of prayer in the temple was ultimately to be for everyone. It was to be a house of prayer for all nations. But with the way things had been going there, it did not symbolize God's welcome to the nations, but rather God's exclusion of them. The temple had become a den of robbers. Its mission had turned inward, toward buying and selling and making profits. Its guardians were notorious for their rich and oppressive lifestyle. And nationalists had a home there where they could plot violence against Rome. So from a distance, it looked like the temple God had intended. But on closer inspection, it was not bearing any fruit at all. Now, in some veins of Christianity, the judgment in this passage has been applied solely against the temple and against Jews. I suggest to you that this is a narrow and somewhat problematic application. If we are wise and discerning, we may begin to see the ways in which Jesus is also speaking a word against our own faith and against our churches when we lose sight of what God intended us to be. Our churches should be a house of prayer for the nations. But we're really more comfortable worshiping with certain kinds of people and worshiping in a particular way. Now to be for all nations does not only mean that we should be focused on mission, focused on local, regional, and global mission. It means at least that, but it doesn't mean only that. We may be excited about the work of our missionaries that we support, but at the same time, turn a cold shoulder to people in our lives who are divorced, 
people who have doubts about their faith, and perhaps even especially people who experience same-sex attraction. God intends that this community of believers would produce fruit that will feed all these people as well. So we should ask ourselves, when someone new shows up at church, do we smile and welcome them, talk to them, ask about their lives? Or do we busy ourselves with our own family, pretend like we don't notice them, maybe even grumble that a stranger is sitting in my seat? Is our church a house of prayer for that person? Or when the toddler down the pew is having a hard time sitting still through the whole service, do we shoot the parents a scowl and maybe mumble about getting that kid under control? Or are we inclined to learn and to talk about how to make young children feel welcome in our worship? Is our church a house of prayer for frustrated parents and young children? We should ask ourselves, with this building, with all the wonderful programs that we support, are there ways in which we have even fallen into the trap of marketing our religion or our church? Now, obviously, taking an offering in church is not a bad thing. Building renovations are not inherently self-serving, and tithing is a biblical principle. But we should not confuse tithing with a business transaction, as if it's some kind of membership fee that gets us certain privileges in church. Do we give so that our church has the resources to be a house of prayer for the nations, or do we give in exchange for programs and a nice worship service? I don't know. I'm, just, I'm new here. You'll have to reflect on that for yourself. But our church body shares in the vocation of Abraham to be a blessing to the nations. And when we get together here on Sunday mornings, we should not forget that this is to be a house of prayer for the nations. God's presence among us in worship is not just for our own sake, but for the sake of the whole world. Like a fig tree, we were created as individuals, as a community of believers, to bear fruit, to nourish people who come to us hungry. So if we stop bearing fruit, if we forget our vocation, if there's only leaves and not even unripened fruit on our branches, then we should not be surprised at all if Jesus walks into the gym after church and starts turning over our coffee tables, knocking cups out of our hands. When Jesus turned over tables and knocked down benches in the temple, he attracted quite a bit of attention to himself, as you can imagine. The crowds of normal people were amazed at his teaching. The chief priests and teachers of the law were less than impressed. They were afraid. They began to look for a way to kill him because he was a threat to their lucrative temple system. Mark here is cluing us into the way that Jesus' judgment on the temple relates more broadly to his life and his sacrificial work on the cross. This message of judgment delivered to the fruitless fig tree and the temple 
went hand in hand with Jesus' agenda of defeating evil in a far deeper and more complete way than the sacrificial system of the temple. Jesus' actions in the temple that day set in motion a series of events that we remember during Holy Week and that would eventually end up with him hanging on a cross. And Mark writes that on that day, at three in the afternoon or at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And with a loud cry, his final breath left his lungs. And Mark writes that the curtain in the temple that separated God's special place from the rest of the temple and the world, that curtain was ripped in two. Three in the afternoon is more than Jesus' time of death. It's a significant time in the temple as well. At three o'clock, people would be gathered for prayer. And in accordance with God's holy Torah, the last sacrifice of the day would be offered to God. A lamb would be sacrificed at three o'clock. The timing of these two events coincide. This is not an accident. At the same time prayers were being offered and a sacrifice made at the temple, Jesus cries out an anguished prayer to God and dies a sacrificial death of the lamb. Jesus is the final sacrifice, perfect and holy, without blemish. Jesus fulfills the requirements of the whole temple system. The curtain is no longer necessary. God's people are made right with him through Jesus' sacrifice. So because of Jesus, God can dwell among them again. Here's the significance for our text this morning. Jesus' judgment on the temple is not the final word. This fruitless tree has been taken up in Christ. It had been put to death as Christ was, its roots withered, only to be united to the one who did not stay dead. Jesus may have judged the temple, but through his death and resurrection, he restores, he renews the vocation of God's people. God's people will be a fig tree, heavy with the fruit of the gospel. God's people will be a house of prayer for the nations. God's people will be a light to the nations. And so where we see dead fig trees with withered roots, we can pray in faith for new life, for renewed vision and purpose. We should not assume that a dead, fruitless fig tree will stay dead when we are praying to the very God who raised Jesus from the dead. During my time at Calvin Seminary, I worked with a church that was going through a program at Calvin called the Renewal Lab. Now, the Renewal Lab's intent is to give churches a renewed, outward-focused vision. So at this Renewal Lab, one of the leaders, Scott, told us about his own church's experience with renewal. 
He became the pastor of a small church in Florida, which by almost all accounts was a dying church, a fruitless church in many ways. So after a lot of prayer and discernment, Scott decided that most of his time as their pastor would be poured into the small daycare and preschool that was run out of their church. Sure, you can imagine that this decision did not go over super well with the aging congregation. What about the rest of us? What about your normal pastor duties? Still, Scott persisted in his work with the daycare, and people in the congregation slowly joined in, and God went about the work of reviving this dying fig tree. It became a house of prayer for the young children of Port St. Lucie, Florida. And as it goes with fig trees, the young children were not the only ones to enjoy the fruit, so to speak. Who eats figs? Well, everyone. God turned this dying church into a place bathed in prayer and intentional discipleship that now bears fruit for the sake of their whole community. This is what the God who raises the dead does. God takes dead, fruitless trees and transforms them into trees that are heavy with fruit. So while our church does not seem to be suffering in numbers, we may be aware of places in our lives or even places here where we need God to step in and renew our purpose or our vision our vocation. And we can pray for this renewal confidently. Jesus assures us at the end of this passage. We can pray confidently in faith because God takes fruitless churches and makes them into houses of prayer for all nations. God takes us, his sometimes or even often fruitless people, and transforms us into a living tree, heavy with the fruit of God's good news for the whole world. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord our God, thank you for this, the gift of your word. Help us now to receive what we have heard and to live in ways that honor you above all. Where we are fruitless, would you send your spirit to renew us? Make us more and more into a house of prayer for the nations. Give us clarity of purpose and joy in the good news of your gospel of grace. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. <laughs>